Welcome to the Part-Time Tech Podcast, where we talk about all things part-time and flexible work in the tech industry. I'm Ernie Park. Today, we have the guy who actually hired me to my last engagement. He's the founder and CEO of a startup called Arcade, Dave Cherry. Welcome, mate. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks, mate. I appreciate you. Glad, glad to be here. <laughs> so I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation for our listeners. Part-Time Tech, I focus a lot on talent, people who want to work part-time flexibly. I think that message has resonated with a lot of folks for a lot of reasons, but to be honest, the the market is sort of set by companies, right? Companies are the people that end up hiring people. And you're one of those folks who did that. I worked fractionally for Arcade as well as a couple other folks, which we'll dive into. But before that, love to hear a little bit about yourself for the listeners, Arcade, and kind of how this company came to be. Yeah. Well, I started Arcade a number of years ago while I was working as a, was at college, we call it uni back in Australia, uh, where I grew up uh, in Melbourne. I was doing an engineering degree and finance degree and working in frontline sales, you know, on a part-time basis and worked in a number of different frontline sales roles. And in each role, it was, you know, nice for the first few months. And then after about, you know, six months, it's just very monotonous and unfulfilling. Mm -hmm. and, and I quickly became disengaged and that affected my performance. And yeah, I... Out of that sort of boredom, my manager noticed my performance dipping. And so, you know, in collaboration with him and, and some of the other teammates on the shop floor, so I was working in retail at the time selling cell phones, we started to essentially run like real-time payouts and engaging mm -hmm. sort of incentives. So we'd make them competitive. And at the time, I didn't know the word gamification, but it was essentially just gamifying the work that we were doing, but in a right. meaningful way that was aligned with performance that was just made every shift go by faster and more rewarding. And before long, we became the highest performing team in the company. And, and that was really the genesis of like, wow, this is a really powerful thing for, especially for frontline sales teams where it's typically an entry level role for a salesperson, you know, really high disengagement as a kind of a function. And so if we can help solve that problem, that's going to really meaningfully improve the lives of the employees first and foremost. And then also it's going to be a great business case because we meaningfully improve performance for the business. So that was sort of the genesis the story to get there has been a long one and a rough, rough journey. Mm -hmm. I moved countries, you know, went through 500 startups out in San Francisco and, uh, and we sort of got the product to market and we're really selling into retail in 2019. And then when 2020 hit, took the wind out of our sails uh, on a sure. lot of fronts, as you can imagine with retail. But what we found was that really the whole world was starting to go remote and frontline workers weren't just retail workers or door-to-door -door sales reps. They were actually now SDRs who were, you know, working their first sales job in a very repetitive, tedious job environment. And now no longer in a bullpen, they're going to work from home in their mm -hmm. pajamas, busting out hundred calls a day. And so what's going to keep them engaged. And so it really started in 2020, basically a huge, what took two years to pivot, but a pivot to really rethink and rebuild arcade so that we could essentially serve any frontline sales team, no matter where, they are. And so we rebuilt the product from the ground up and raised money on that. So we did our first equity round in 21, stage two capital, and they've been huge supporters of us. And, and we went through this sort of rapid growth phase of sales, but also our product was falling apart at the same time because it wasn't mm -hmm. really ready. And we had to go through a really, really tough restructure at the, the end of 2021. So about 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. And 
that sort of left us uh, up creek without a paddle. And, yeah. you know, we had this legacy product, which was sort of falling apart at the seams, trying to serve all these customers. And we had this new product that wasn't ready to go live yet. Um, mm -hmm. that we were so divided on resources on, and, and then we had no team really to execute on it. So yeah. that was, um, the story and sort of maybe a good <laughs> yeah, helpful yeah. segue into how we got connected for sure. Yeah. So that takes us to end of about 2021, you said, right. So, you know, arcade now is, it, it's a software platform started out kind of in these roots serving kind of retail, but always been a, a software as a service. How big's the team around this time, the entire company? Yeah, so we're at around about 15 now. We mm -hmm. had to just go down, do some unfortunate downsizing recently, like a mm -hmm. lot of companies. We've essentially had to restart the whole business again. So we've had yeah. to basically go into a part two of the company. Yeah, it's exciting. We're, we're sort of seeing the, the sun through the clouds here, but um, it's been a long process to, to get to this point. Yeah, absolutely. So Let's kind of go back to kind of, I guess, around beginning of 2022. Obviously, things are exciting and scary probably all at the same time with COVID, right? New opportunities, but it's like, what the heck is going on in the world? And for startups, you know, cash is kind of king. They're like, you know, so I came in around June, but you also had, another, you know, a couple of my other former coworkers involved that also like walk me through kind of that thought process of how you ended up making some of these fractional hires. Was it something you always knew was like, available to you? Was it just like someone recommended to you? I'd, I'd love to hear like how USEO came to this decision point. Yeah, it was a, um, it was a, I think a combination of things. The first was, you know, we were in the middle of this huge pivot and we had, we'd scaled. So we had, you know, double, maybe triple the team size that we are now. A lot of customer growth in 2021 and just this really huge gap in terms of what we expected the product to do and what our engineer and engineers would produce to what I was actually getting kind of shipped. And part of that I think was that we had all of our engineering in Australia. And so I think just that not having kind of cohesion around sort of both the time frame that the team was working with each other on, and then also proximity to customers where all of our customers are in North America. So I think that was like a big part of the root cause of the, the problem. And then the other part was that like, you know, just having engineering technical leadership that had the experience of running a really effective team mm -hmm. in the B2B SaaS space. And, you know, we're a company that's, you know, on a mission to bring dignity and, and direction to frontline salespeople. And, and a big part of what our software does is it, not only tracks the performance of the employees, but it also financially pays them out for that performance. Mm -hmm. And so there's a really high bar of efficacy that we need to meet around integration right. and data and, and the finance piece. And I think we were just like in a, in a rut, man, because we just couldn't like, we were really struggling, I guess, to, to balance those priorities. And also right. we were getting quite a lot of customer growth, which was exciting, but it also pulls your focus away. Yeah. I really appreciate your transparency. Like that, that's something not just startups, but all companies kind of go through at different inflection points. Right. And one phrase I heard back when I worked at HubSpot, like, I think I might've shared this with you. It's like, the only thing worse than no customers is a lot of customers, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then you gotta, then you gotta actually, you know, make sure they're taken care of. And then you gotta you know, listen to the feedback and all that. So, so it's, it's a lot on that plate. So yeah, I joined the picture around June. How did you even consider hiring someone fractional rather than, Hey, we need 
you know, a CTO, like a head of engineering in here, which is sort of, that's sort of the default, right? It's like, okay, there's, you know, there was a little bit of a leadership gap. You guys needed someone to kind of walk you through kind of this different phase. How did you end up turning to some schmuck like me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think coming off that, you know, big restructure that we had to make, we were sort of left with, okay, now we have no engineering. We have a product that's not quite finished. That's been the product of, you know, a year and a bit of rebuilding. We have a legacy product. that's not something we want to continue investing in where we have a lot of customers on that are struggling. So we need to get people moved across as fast as possible. And I think one of the key things that I had noticed, well, I had realized that, you know, which was, you know, the, the key to our success was going to be always about the technical execution. Like I said, like the product is pretty, you know, requires great technical execution and we needed to really rebuild the engineering team. It needed to be stateside and I needed to not take any risks. And I think the big challenge as a startup is you're constantly trying to vie for talent. And in early 2022, late 21, if you remember, it was just like a huge VC bubble engineers like were so hard to come by you're paying through the nose for any sort of talent and so we just couldn't like find the right people and anybody we brought on it was you know few and far between but the other piece was just getting somebody of the caliber of you know somebody who's built and run really high performing engineering teams knows what great looks like really understands how to you know that's something we just didn't have. And so what I did was I brought on uh, somebody on the go-to-market side. Um, So we had this new product that's, you know, a few months from launch. We're planning to like really release it to the the big wider world of frontline sales teams. And I wanted some feedback on how are we going to do this really successfully? And that worked out really well. So that was sort of how we got connected because that was sort of like, okay, it's working really well to bring in somebody say fractionally, on a on something that requires a lot of execution and, and the fractional piece, it's like, it's not that they were doing a ton of execution, but they were mm-hmm. certainly advising on a lot of the potholes and what not to do and questioning, yeah. you know, just helping on the strategic side. And I right. think that that's really where I found so much value. And I saw that, hey, we have this huge challenge with engineering. Is this something we could do on an engineering side? And I had no idea if it was possible or not to bring in people that actually had done it before, seen what success looks like and can come in and be a force multiplier for a short period of time and get the team into the place it needs to be to be successful. So that's how we got connected. And um, that's really how we started working together. Absolutely. So just just to take a quick step back, how did you get connected to, uh, I won't name him in case he doesn't want to be uh, (laughs) put on the spot on a podcast, but how'd you get connected to that fractional go-to-market leader? Like, who connected you to him? Why did you even consider to have him on board? Yeah, so our our investors, stage two invested in us. They're a, you know, a, a kind of early stage VC fund from seed series A, focus on go-to-market, focus on B2B SaaS. They invested in us a year prior and sort of had invested in the thesis of like everything that we were planning to do around expanding into the broader world of frontline sales teams. And they had seen all the great growth we'd seen and also all the challenging Mm -hmm. stuff we'd gone through. And so they had sort of been with us on the journey and they, through their connections, had somebody that they'd worked with in the past, both professionally and on a kind of fractional basis that had just, 
I guess, a good depth of understanding across both the go-to-market, but also the product side. And that was really where we needed that that sort of advice and that feedback. And so they connected me um, to to them, and then working with them, they they were able to you know help me sequentially knock out different ducks that I needed to knock out to to get to a place where we could get the the new product live, get our existing customer base migrated to it, get our engineering built back up, and get the the kind of company reset like we have. So. Yeah. I feel like you have a certain humility where you're able to reach out for help and you're willing to accept that. You know, obviously every company is unique in in certain ways, but in terms of a lot of company building, a lot of the stories like people have done before, right? It might look a little bit different, have a slightly different flavor depending on your vertical, your, you know, your customer base, whatever. But chances are, if you're building a company, someone's done something like what you're encountering before, right? And that's what was appealing for me when we kind of first had our initial discussions about whether it would be a good fit. It's not that I necessarily was at, you know, 20 person startup and, you know, seed, whatever kind of startup before. But when you talked about the problems and the challenges and the things you guys wanted to do, I was like, that's exactly what I did at, you know, and the types of teams that I had. So that was really appealing. And and I think that was where there was a really good fit. Did did you feel like you you kind of saw that too, at least on the engineering side? Yeah, I think, I think it's challenging. You know, I've heard mixed reviews of fractional, leadership coming in to different functions. And I think different functions have different levels of success, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think with what was unique about the engagement, especially with you was, I think you just had, you brought to the table, not only the experience and the, you know, you could, you know, the strategic level insight that you could, you know, help with sort of the long-term play and, and helping us get to where we need to go but also the tactical piece, which was Mm -hmm. the one-on-ones with engineers, the the company culture building, the process building, the operational excellence, you know? So I think that that was super valuable to me that, like you said, you know, you'd come from maybe not working with a 20, 30 person startup, but you'd worked at 20, 30 person teams and you'd help lead those teams and help be a part of those teams and seen what success looks like. And so for you to come in and actually have the, you know, both the higher level plane of thought around the strategy, but also being able to get into the weeds and help at the day-to-day stuff. And and as a startup, I think, yeah, there's lots of chefs often and there's not <laughs> enough cooks. Um, yeah. So it's good just to have somebody that could do both in a, yeah. in a meaningful way. Yeah. And I think you touched on something important, which is that like, there are different levels of like fractional advising, right? I think the other guy helping on the go-to-market site was a little more kind of advisory, like strategic. He wasn't the one doing the things, but he was definitely give you a lot of advice and like what not to do, what to do, and kind of poked you in the, the right directions there. I think for me, I was maybe like one level deeper into the weeds on mm-hmm. the engineering side. Cause I was actually meeting with the team, but I was still, I was still about 10 hours a week, right? Which doesn't sound like a lot, but I feel like it forced me because this was my first really real fractional engagement forced me to be really picky with my time mm-hmm. uh, prioritized and also be really upfront with you about like, here's what I am able to deliver on. Here's what I'm not. For me, that was like a real positive because for me personally, I, I thought I was very effective. I thought I was able to help you guys a lot and, and get a lot of bang for your buck uh, to be honest. Right. Yeah. But also I, I think kind of towards the end, you know, I was able to be honest about like, Hey, here's where I'm not able to actually help you guys. And this is where you need to find somebody kind of next. Did, did that feel like an honest <laughs> recounting? 
Yeah, no, it was. And I, I must say that that was, I think the most value that you brought in general was just the candor. And I think there's a lay, there's just a level of like acumen that, you know, you're not promising the world and you're also not just like, you're not just reporting what you can't do, but you're also informing what we should do about that. Right. And so it was like, Hey, I can't do this. We need to have either a realignment of priorities. We need to bring somebody in to support that. I can help with that. You know, so you were able to help not only tell me what you couldn't like do, but also that we needed it done. And if we, you know, want to get it done, here's what the next steps you'd recommend are and, the, and how you would support. And I think that was invaluable, man, because yeah. I think that there's probably two, often two planes of like support you get on a fractional basis. There's one that's sort of like the fractional leadership level, which is very strategic, very mm-hmm. you kind know, of, here's my advice, but I don't do anything. Then there's like the contractor level, which is like very like, mm-hmm. you know, scope of work, what do right. you need from me next? And it's like all execution, but no sort of insight into the the right, strategy right. and and thoughtfulness of that. And I think what you brought is this great in-between phase, which was mm-hmm. what we needed. And I think a lot of startups actually need. And I think that what I know you're, you're doing with part-time tech is that like helping people in roles that where they have both that sort of coachability, like the ability to coach the field, but also play a coach, you know, they can play the game and they can, and they sort of partner with the startup with the intention that, Hey, they're not here for like a long-term necessary, maybe they are, but like they're here to help the company grow and what the company needs and to inform on that and then to help execute on that. And, and that was super helpful. Yeah. I think I like the way you kind of put that. And I think there's a lot of people kind of in my shoes of like, you know, I wasn't like you know, an SVP, right. Or like a CTO of some big public company or anything, but I was like a pretty successful manager, I would say. Right. So not so far removed from the kind of day to day that I I'm like purely like strategic level, like all the way up here, pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is, like you said, like startups can't just only have that and you can't just have people in the way you need a little bit of both. So that makes sense. I, I think another part is really what I learned is the the fixed term nature of it actually made it way better for me uh, and, and hopefully for you guys to some extent too, because it, it kind of, it's, it's a forcing function. Um, we also had, I can mention his name because he was featured in the newsletter already. Sam Bleckley, he was a contractor mm-hmm. we also had, and we were both on six month engagements, almost he, he went like maybe a month or two after longer than me. But you know, one of the things he said to me when he started was, so I'm already thinking about my handoff in six months. Right. So he's already thinking about what do I need to deliver and how do I leave this company in a better place? And when he said that to me, I was like, oh, I need to be thinking five months ahead also. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think to the point you said about Candor too, it's like, hey, like, obviously I'm not trying to burn bridges with you or anybody, but like, I can just be blunt. Right. And if you don't like me, like, you know, I, I'm just going to do the best I can, but like, I'm like, I don't have to tiptoe around anything. Cause like worst case, like, look, this is going to end in six months or you just terminate my contract sooner. Right. But like for me to be really effective, I need to just like cut through that. Like I don't have like seven months of like capital and kingdom building I can do first, right? So I I found that really valuable yeah. where I was like, I don't have all this fluff time to just like, I just got to get right to, to what's valuable. I like how you put it. It's a forcing function. And mm-hmm. I think as a startup with limited resources, but infinite opportunity, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things that we face as founders 
is, you know, where to, what to say no to. Right. And that I think in itself is such a value add that you bring by coming in and going, okay, what is success look like for you as the person coming in and then for the company and just finding alignment on that. And then, yeah. And then it forced us to like say no to stuff. It forced us to like start working on stuff earlier than we probably would have and prioritize that. And, and it certainly left us better than what, than when we started. And, and so I think that that's a really, really important part of success. And it's an important part for this startup as well. Cause the last thing startups want is to, to not have, to have ambiguity around like where the value is being driven. Right. So I think like as a startup, like even in terms of advisorships that I've started working through, it's like, you know, I don't do anything anymore unless it's like clearly defined. Mm -hmm. What is done look like? You know, and we can continue if like, if we get to done and it's like, there's more to do, great, awesome. Let's like re-up, but yeah you know, it's a great chance for us to like be very clear and box in what we're actually trying to achieve. And, and I think as a startup as well is why, you know, your experience was so valuable. It's not always super clear exactly what the deliverables are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's helpful to have like a collaborator to help define those deliverables. It's also invested in, Hey, over six months, what do we want to be successful in? And, and then, you know, collaborate on that, the outcome. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think, some of the first things that we did was like, where do we want to be? Like, what do, who do we want to hire at the end of this? Cause I'm not, uh, you know, I was going to have a baby. So I knew I could say I'm done yeah. on this day. So I would say, okay, like, who do you want in this seat after? Right. And it was really good for me to know, like, this is kind of what I'm shooting for. Um, and this is not like indefinite. So I guess going back a little bit to just that decision point, like, you know, nothing is perfect, right? We're, we're obviously painting fractional work in a positive light, but you obviously still had to pay me. You had to pay other guys. Like, how did you think about that in terms of, you know, and I'll be upfront. Like, I, I feel like I wasn't cheap, but I, I obviously, I, I think I delivered that value, but yeah. How did you make that kind of decision? Like, what was the calculus in your head? Like really, like imagine you're, you're talking to other business owners, other CEOs, founders, right? Like how did that like trade off and decision actually like come to come to bear back in like May or June last year? Yeah. I, think it's super important to, you know, it's for me, what I had learned through bringing on the go-to-market, the person that was helping with the go-to-market side of things, they were not cheap at all. But what they had talked with me through was, hey, what are the outcomes that you need as a company? And then they committed to being able to to deliver on those outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so really what you're not paying for is, an hourly rate and somebody to like report to you nine to five. What you're paying for is in six months, here's what we're going to have as a company. And I, and then as a startup, you just have to make tough calls. We had to make tough calls around. We had to make cuts in different areas to, to make sure that like, you know, we weren't investing in, in parts of, you know, tools or whatever in the, in the business that weren't bringing value to the absolute ultimate goal. And our absolute ultimate goal was getting our engineering rebuilt stateside, getting our new product live, getting all of that done. Like that was 100% the goal. And so it was more so just vetting, are you the person that can actually deliver on that? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are, you know, then I just look at, you know, whatever it's going to cost as sort of a function of that cost. And I find a way to fund it because we're not going to be successful as a company unless we get to that place. Yeah. And, you know, it was, I was grateful that I had 
you know, you weren't somebody I met sort of on Upwork. You were somebody that came from in-network from people I really trusted that I'd worked from worked with before. And I think that that's also the key is like being able to make a, an informed decision with somebody that you trust is actually able to execute for you. And yeah. And then at, at the, the same token also being somebody that is going to be honest with you mm. if they can't execute. And I think that that is also the, the kind of thing that I was really weighing in. So, right. you know, I didn't see it as like a, an hourly rate. I didn't see it as a specific yeah. sort of um, in, like the way I would look at say a salary and sort yeah. of a productivity, a function of productivity. I saw it as a function of outcome and what's it going to cost us to not get to this outcome in that time frame. Yeah. And that was far more expensive than to double down on something that was going to give us the best shot of getting there. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. One thing I talk about a lot is just like filling the gaps, right? Like there, there was a little bit of leadership gap and, and with a startup every month is runway. Right. And I know I was able to come in before even the kind of the previous leader I was kind of coming in for had even left. So there was mm -hmm. even that, like, which you wouldn't have been able to do if you were going to hire your next full-time head of engineering, right? Like that would have taken a lot longer, right? And I'm guessing if you had waited for, let's say it took you two, three months to make that hire, two, three months, not having kind of the goals that you, progress towards those goals you want would have been, could have been really bad. Totally. Yeah. I think, you know, when you're in a startup, everything's opportunity cost. Um, and that's what you're talking about there. It's like, right. you know, and I, I also think that was clear to me after we did the initial sort of restructure in late 21 and was sort of left with a very small amount of engineering bandwidth and a lot of engineering work to get done. Mm -hmm. And we were really struggling to find engineers to, to fill those gaps without, you know, we had no leadership in the role. It was, it was just a really tough time. It was just so clear to me. It's like, who's going to want to come and work in this? Mm -hmm. Like you got a lot of work to do before you can really be successful in getting this team built up, productive, mm. getting the new product live, you know, doing all this kind of the tech debt piece, then the team debt piece. And then, and so I think what this gave me was like, that was the other way that I looked at the cost benefit. Mm. It was like, okay, it's going to cost us if same, if not more to hold right. and try to find the right person, recruit them versus bringing somebody in straight away who can make an impact today, who can really start to just give us a six month plan to get to a place where we have really strong engineering at our kit. And then we're going to be in a great place to go and hire and recruit and attract somebody of the talent profile that we want, that is going to help us be the successful company we want to be. be. So that to me was also just the other no brainer piece um, right. that, yeah, I think you, you pointed out perfectly. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah, like you said, opportunity cost and also just setting things up so that you can take that next step. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that was one thing I was definitely proud of is that I felt like I was able to bring in and hire a couple of folks who were really good uh, and queue up, you know, I, I didn't bring in the next head of engineering, but I helped vet them, help sell them, right. Do all that sort mm -hmm. of a thing. Uh, and that's hard to do if you don't feel like there's like a leadership in place with like a clear vision kind of in that future. So I'm glad I was able to kind of help out a little bit there. W one thing I didn't mention, maybe in, in case the reader listeners are interested also, is just like I was helping kind of on strategy, helping the team, doing some coaching. Where I kind of stopped was actually hands-on keyboard work as an individual contributor. There were times where I felt like I needed to, but I just wasn't able to. And that's where I felt like I was pretty upfront with you, Dave, where I was like, 
my engagement's not going to be able to support that. And that's why we need the urgency to hire that next head of engineering who can spend a little bit of their time more in the trenches with mm-hmm. kind of the team, right? And so I felt like I was hopefully doing my duty by being honest about like where I was going to come short. But again, because it was a more of a limited engagement, we had the time to find that next person who would kind of fill those gaps. Yeah. And, and I think that's what you sort of, as a, when you're going into this sort of thing, you are hoping you hedge against people that aren't self-aware enough to know where they'll be impactful or not. Right. And so, you know, that to me was super valuable and that just you being self-aware enough of where you're going to be impactful and where you're not going to be impactful. And then, like I said, what, what do I do about it? You're not just leaving me hanging with that. Now you go figure it out. It's like, and here's my suggestion. Here's what I can help with to help you get the right people in place long-term. The other piece as well, which I, I didn't mention earlier, but was so important was, you know, and I said this to you and we brought on yourself and another fractional kind of technical leader mm-hmm. and you working more on the engineering excellence, they working on more of the architectural infrastructure yep. excellence. But I said to both of you, I said, I after 90 days, can you give me just a no fluff report that I'll share transparently with everybody in the org, in the with the board, like like what's the state of the union for arcade in mm-hmm. terms of this new product, in terms of our technical direction, our decisions, our architecture, blah blah blah. And you were able to give a really informed insight into that, and like, hey, here's what's good, here's what's challenging, here's what we're going to do about it. And it was a and and I think that was not only important for me to see, it was also important for any new people we were bringing on board, including that new leadership hire that was going to be full-time, that's going to take that step into a startup and and take this on, is that they could trust that, hey, they're not going to get a fluffed sales pitch from Ernie. Mm-hmm. They're going to get just exactly like what's going on, what the state of the union is. And and so one one thing I will say is since we brought on that new leader and he's been really awesome. His feedback to me has been ultimately like, I'm nothing, I, I, I'm finding nothing surprising, mm-hmm. you know, like, That's you know, there's the things I'm learning. Ears. Yeah. There's <laughs> things I'm learning for sure. And there's certainly like things that are popping up, whatever the, the natural stuff, but I'm like not coming in and going, Oh, this was totally something I was oversold on right, right. or whatever. And so that's super important to me as well is that you just have that trust for the person coming in. Mm-hmm. Cause then I can know I, I had the right person. Right. Because such an important piece of, of your success as a company, especially as a tech company, yeah. is that your technical leadership is just spot on. And so you don't want to be in a place where they're coming in, whether you know it or not, you're, they're coming in when having missed expectations. And I think having your level of you know acumen as part of the business and working in it for six months, you were able to provide that unique insight that there's no way that I could have done mm-hmm. no matter what, because I'm just not very technical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you got plenty of other skills, so no, it was awesome working with you. I I think, you know, part of, I I started part-time tech while I was doing the engagement with you guys in Arcade, and it just felt like, this is like, for me, it was like, this is sort of a match made in heaven, right? It's like, on the one hand, like, I was never going to join Arcade full-time, not because there's anything wrong with Arcade, but just like, it just wasn't the right time. Like, I didn't want to join a startup, and I just, Mm -hmm. I wasn't in the place to to do full-time work. But then here comes, you know, my, my friend, past coworker reached and I was like, Hey, the startup is looking for someone fractionally. They need these outcomes. And I was like, that's like all the things I'm best at. 
<laughs> and, and at the right stage and you can still do, you know, whatever and prance around your farm and all that. And I was like, wow, this is like perfect. <laughs> so I was just like, man, like, can we find more of these types of like win-win situations? Right. The thing I try to emphasize too, is like fractional is not like everything should be fractional and part-time, right? That's like, obviously not the case, but it's, it's just one more tool in your box for company building. Right. The fact that like full-time should not always be just the default is I guess kind of what I try to emphasize. And yeah, like the, the other piece there too, just to something that you had mentioned just on working with another fractional leader there too, right? Is like, I was able to come in with someone I actually had past rapport with, right? And I was able to say like, here's one area where I'm actually not able to help you upfront. And so I think to what you said about like someone you vet and can trust on the consulting side, being able to have someone who will be honest about what they're not good at and what they can't deliver at. Like if, if I'm if I'm hiring a consultant, I want to hear that in kind of the first call and not just be sold the whole time. Cause then you don't kind of know where you're going to end up if they're going to jam what they can do to try to match your outcomes, but they might not. Right. Mm, yeah. And it also invites, I think a, a level of dialogue that is just so helpful and healthy mm -hmm. that is reciprocated, you yeah. know, where I can, you know, the startup or the company that is kind of also evaluating this can also be super candid about right you know, is this going to work for us or not? And, and it forces you to make those decisions up front and calculate those things up front. And then it's really clear if that's being met as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think this is, you know, just one of the ch most challenging parts of any role is quantifying success, measuring yeah. progress to that success. And so that the way that it was set up with a very clearly defined outcome and then you know, an upfrontness about the conversation around, you know, your capabilities, where you're going to be strong and, and then also what the company can do, you know, what we, what's our budget, what can mm -hmm. we afford? Is this going to meet our expectations? Is this going to meet what we need as a business? And if we don't know the answer to that, well, then that's food for thought yeah. and grateful to have that time to think about it before I've committed to something. The other piece as well is that, you know, like you said, it's a lot easier to go, okay, this isn't working out within 30 days. You know, a fractional person doesn't take as long to find. You can bring them on quickly if if you need to. You can evaluate their whether it's working or not very quickly on both sides. And then you yeah. can make adjustments quickly. Where it's, that's so different to like, hey, you've gone through a three to four month vetting process for a full-time yeah. hire. You've paid umpteen thousand dollars in recruiting fees. Yep. You've ramped this person. You want to give them 90 days because you know, know they There's need that some, time to figure some it out. Some cost fallacy in there too. Some cost, yeah, some cost fallacy, right? So you don't want to let them go because you've just invested all this time and you've lost a lot of hair trying to like get them up and running. You want to give, so like maybe it's a whole year before you've actually made a decision, you know? So yeah. I think we've actually started doing this on a lot of roles where we've started not that we're going fractional on everything, but we're doing like a contract to hire period on yeah. a couple of roles. And that's been really positive because it's a great chance for like, you know, mutual evaluation. And right. then there's a lot less downside risk if it doesn't work out, um, yeah. you know, and then just all the upside really, you know, for and sure. you pay a premium and that premium is, you know, that you're paying sort of the rate of that bit. Really, when you look at opportunity costs, it's like, it's huge to huge savings on, on what it would actually cost you if you went yeah. that way. And, and I feel like we could do a whole nother 
episode about the contractor hire and, and I want to, I know you gotta, you gotta run soon, but th that's the one other piece. Like I was actually able to hire someone kind of through a contract to hire when I was responsible for hiring. And, and that made a lot of sense. Cause you know, I didn't have time to set up a pipeline. We were kind of a little bit short staffed on the engineering side. So getting these engineers to interview, interviewing is expensive, right? So it's like, what if we just get a little bit of a signal, do a contract mm -hmm. to hire. And then, you know, like, honestly, as an engineering leader, you know, within a week, usually if someone's going to, mm -hmm. if, if someone's going to hit or not, and that's just so much easier. So I think where it's possible, that makes a ton of, ton of sense. And I think it lends itself well to kind of this whole ethos of, of part-time work. So that was actually going to be my other question. I was like, how are you thinking about fractional and kind of part-time roles kind of going forward? But I guess you sort of answered that. Yeah, look, it's it's something that, yeah, definitely, definitely contract to hire is, is a big thing for us. It's not always possible, sure. um, but where possible, I think it's something that, you know, it's something that it makes a lot of sense mutually for the employee and for us. We're a startup, so there's, you know, you, it's got to be a really good fit. You've got to love it because you're in it for a heck of a ride. You know, it's a fun yeah. ride, it's, but it's it's a ride. You know, it's not, you know, a nine to five job per se. And so, yeah, so it's it's something that I'm certainly thinking about. And then I'm also like when I look at other functions of the business now, it's like, okay, we've done a really good job. Now we've launched the new product. We've met all of our milestones. Customers are super happy. We're growing month over month, like seeing really good results, you know, we're really expanding like we, like we had planned to a year ago and we're in a really healthy place. But then now there's like, okay, we're scaling back up and I've got to look at what are the next functions I need help with. Right. And so there's, you know, I'm looking at, can I replicate what we did with the tech team? Yeah. Is it possible to replicate that sort of part-time person to come in and really help us achieve those outcomes? And so, yeah, yeah it's sort of informing the way I look at the next phase of growth as a business as well. Yeah. And I think as a leader, like recognizing when you're at different inflection points is key, right? One of the things we talked about at HubSpot is like the person who took HubSpot from like hundred thousand of MRR to a million is not, might not be the same from like a million to 50 million, right? There's mm -hmm. very different skills and experience and know-how. So I think as a leader, recognizing that and bringing the right people in, um, that's, that's just kind of smart business. So Dave, Really awesome talking to you. I appreciate the transparency, but also just like your ability to be kind of flexible, humble. And I, I think you brought the company to like a really good place where like an otherwise, you know, stubborn leader may not have been able to. Um, so yeah, I, where can people kind of find you? Arke, you can do a little final little plug here. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it, Annie. Yeah. You can find us at arcade.co. We really uh, help engage frontline salespeople. We do that by tracking and paying out their spiffs and, and commissions in real time. And we gamify it to make it more engaging to help you move those mid performers closer to the top and just make for a really strong culture in your business. And we do it in a really seamless way by plugging into any communication tool you're already using and syncing with your, you know, point of sale or your CRM that that's tracking your, uh, your sales performance. So if that's, helpful to you you can um, check us out at arcade.co it's totally free to get started so sign up and you can also check us out on linkedin and i'm also starting to create a lot of content as well to help frontline sales leaders really think about how they how they kind of help level up their employees and and take their employees to the next level and build a really great you know workplace that is conducive to high success for, for their sales team so um, if you're interested in that content you can find it at our website as well 
Awesome. Dave, I'm a fan of you and Arcade. Thanks so much. Thanks, fella. Bye.